All right, welcome everybody to Pen Pen Pals for the penultimate episode of our Steinsgate coverage. Now we're going to do 21 and 22 today. I'm Alex. Hi, this is Blixa. And we're excited to have uh, a new guest. And we've heard a bit of a super fan of the series. Uh, please welcome Paul. Yay. Hello. Uh, so, Paul, we know you through your, your lovely wife, Marley. Uh, what what's your experience with Steinsgate? Yeah, so I continue to be uh, a big fan of the show, um, despite its despite its warts. Like you can't really love anime without being willing to forgive a few oddities and and mm. unfortunate things. Like there's always, for me at yeah. least, there's always a little ambivalence. Uh, That's like in, all relationships. It's like all relationships, you know. But yes, I a big fan of Steinsgate. Uh, back in college. Uh, when I was really first getting into anime, for me and my freshman roommate and like one of my best friends from college, we traded shows with each other. And over the course of those four years, like our top two anime, and we were always looking to try and replicate the like golden gleam that we felt whenever we watched, rewatched, or talked about these two shows were Steinsgate and Madoka Magica, which you guys have also covered on a previous thing. So yes, uh, some, some very deep, very old feelings I have for Steinsgate. No comment about how long ago that was. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's great. So what about your history with anime? Is this like the, the first show you ever saw? Are there any other formative works? I mean, obviously, Madoka made a big impression on you, but yeah. is there anything in that tier two, like right below those two? Yeah, trying to think about formative works. Like, there were certainly a lot that I missed uh, of like the the canon shows that like everybody has seen these, like, you know, mm. all the like Death Note and all these like Utena, Sailor Moon, like all these really mm. classic ones I didn't really see until I moved in with Marley and we started watching yeah. them every night with dinner <laughs> and it's been great. Um, so I feel like I'm getting the like foundations now. I certainly watched a lot of the Hayao Miyazaki movies oh, yeah, in yeah, college. Yeah, sure. Those were super popular. So, I mean, Be- Cowboy Bebop was huge when it came out. Yeah, Cowboy Bebop. Uh, I actually someone introduced me to that in high school, and it didn't quite um, click for me. I couldn't oh, say no. I was like, just, it didn't quite hook me, and I couldn't quite say yeah. why. That opening theme, though. Yeah. Yes. Tank I still is tank. Great. My God, I still yeah. listen to that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the, it, Cowboy Bebop has aged a little bit, mm-hmm. and it might not be seem as profound as it did to me as a middle school, high schooler. But like the music. Oh. really stands up and oh, yeah. obviously with like the episode titles and everything you can see that's part of the hard-coded dna of it i think it's time we blow this scene get the <laughs> this stuff together okay three two one let's jam well i'm one of those weirdos who liked outlaw star better <laughs> hey if you like a little bit of magic then outlaw star is the way to go I do like a little bit of magic. Uh, and then there's also Trigun. Those were like the three. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, uh, well, uh, is there anything going on in the anime world? What, are you excited about anything coming up, Blixa? Oh, you were going to see Godzilla. Is that is that coming up? Have you seen it already? On Wednesday is the sneak peek of Godzilla minus one. And then I'm taking the family to see like the actual premiere on Friday. Uh, super excited about that. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the legendary universe, but I will say that the Apple series is really good. Oh, really? Oh, what is it? Monarch? Yeah. 
it, it maybe isn't for everyone. It's slower than the films. It's less mm-hmm. action oriented and more oh like God, slower than the legendary Godzilla. <laughs> Jesus. It's more about like the intrigue of um, like, what the fuck is all this stuff? And it's like the origins of like discovering these creatures and, mm. you know, like the fifties, like trying to, trying to attack these creatures with atomic weapons, which is the wrong <laughs> idea. That's like, it only makes them stronger. Yeah. Giving them <laughs> adrenaline. Awesome. Uh, so that's kind of funny. Um, and then um, again, like on the opposite end of the spectrum, like the, the Toho film shorts that they released, they're all action. Uh, they're, they're these 10 little like 10 minute cgi things i guess they correlate with the anniversaries of godzilla versus megalon gaigon and hedora oh that but, sounds uh, awesome yeah maybe i'll link to that in the show description yeah but you know they they do fun little liberties that you might be familiar with like from video games like these monsters doing powers that aren't in the films <laughs> uh, so it's like fun it's just fun it's a bit of fun Okay. Um, I will say, like, this is going to make people hate me. Uh, oh. The uh, series finale for Attack on Titan aired, and I, I watched it. Came out in like the form of like two like OVAs, I guess. Yeah. I did not enjoy the ending. I feel like the point that this show makes. I'm, I'm trying not to spoil anything. Okay. The point that the show makes made it in the very first episode, and I thought for sure they were going to offer something in the realm of like hope or inspiration because you know that's why i loved the show there were characters like erwin who were very sacrificial and inspiring mm-hmm. i did not get what i was looking for <laughs> oh, <laughs> it was a downer ending it was a downer ending but if you like that if you like misery porn and nihilism then you'll probably love it <laughs> okay all right. Steinsgate. No, wait. Attack on Titan. <laughs> that was Attack on Titan. Previously on Steinsgate. Last time on Shining Finger and Future Boy in The Dangers of Phone Addiction. Moika was a troubled girl. Quiet, unassuming, and socially anxious to the extreme. One day, she decided to reenact the opening scene from her favorite anime, Serial Experiments Lane. But she was interrupted by a text from a new benefactor slash exploiter, FB, who turned out to be Mr. Braun, presented as a surrogate mother figure and sent Moika on a collision course with the FGL. Back in the present, Okabe confronted Moika, but fixing things from her phone proved futile. Having discovered the whereabouts of the IBM 5100, Okabe took Makise's advice to track its transport rather than apprehend it on the spot. The trail was long, but led right back to the FGL, specifically under their feet. Mr. Braun had been working for CERN for years in an attempt to protect his daughter, Nye. At a construction site early in the morning, Braun explained everything, shot Moika, then turned the gun on himself. But with FB's phone in hand, Okabe was able to reverse the effects of Moika's D-mail. Will hacking into CERN be enough to save Maori? How will Makise take the news of her prophesied demise? Is there a way to save both of them? Let's find out. Uh, I hate Mr. Braun now. Oh, what? He's so... Well, yeah, I mean, he's bad guy, but like... I don't know. He's so fascinating. He's been there the whole time, you know? God, he's been manipulating vulnerable people. Yeah. I feel like don't blame the individual. Blame the system. And in this case, the system is the nascent beginnings of like a all-controlling uh, dictatorship that uh, has conquered the entire planet Earth for all future and all past. So it's like, you know, if you're a, if you're a cog in that machine, 
you're probably going to do some bad shit. Yeah. And, well, and it's just a good lesson for people to learn that, like, you know, we all want to save the world, but like fighting against an evil organization isn't that simple. Like you, you may find people who are, you know, like you, uh, uh, you feel for them, but they are still in the way. They are still the problem. Yeah. Mm. There's also in terms of his motive, it's like, oh, well, you did all this terrible stuff in order to save your, you know, this one person you care about. What's Okabe's motive mm-hmm. for the last 20 episodes? It's a very uncomfortable mirroring. Yeah. He's he is ripping away all of the most important changes from his like best friends lives to save one person that he cares about. And now mm-hmm. he's the only thing that has truly stopped him is wait, there are two people I care about. And he, you know, he's fucking with the fabric of time. There uh, haven't yeah. been any like problems per se, but uh, that's definitely something that he doesn't take into account. I feel like the rise of CERN as an all-powerful dictatorship uh is very much one of those problems uh from that, <laughs> yes. that happens from monkeying with time, right? He's yeah. ends he's he's in this situation where, like, oh, we invented a time machine that technology has fallen into the wrong hands. We have to Mm -hmm. uninvent the time machine or else dictatorship forever. Mm, Pretty dark. (laughs) Well, it'll be interesting to see how this ethical dilemma uh, plays out. Indeed. All right, let's do it. Three, two, one, play. It's interesting that Kurisu is reluctant to admit her interest in Komima yeah. It's like it's like an extension of her Sundare stuff. It's not just that she's afraid to admit her love. It's that she's afraid to admit any kind of positive emotions, even if in a mm. non-romantic context, like she's just a very closeted person. Oh, that makes a lot of sense, though, with her dad issues. Yep. I never thought about that because like she so like the things that excite her, they're they're like a risk, a danger yep. to share with other people. Yep. Wow, that's kind of brilliant. That that makes her character make a lot more sense in my head. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I think it it helps helps add a little more depth to the like the admittedly very played out Sundare archetype. Yeah. All right, there's a lot going on in this episode. It's a it's a dense one. Yeah. All right. So first, let me geek out. Something I hate in some anime is like violating the the show don't tell rule. Like they'll go into this expository. Mm. And you, they sort of do that with Maori, but it's done really beautifully. You know, yes. she's at the grave and it's kind of a monologue, but she's talking to her grandmother. And like, it's the insight that we needed into Maori's heart and mind, but it's really endearing. It doesn't feel like expository. You're, yeah, it doesn't feel expository because because it feels like a conversation she could naturally have with her grandmother's mm-hmm. grave. Like she's talking about this friend that she's really worried about. Mm-hmm. And then like the, the stuff that she says, like it's she really sees Okabe. What else can you ask for in a relationship than just yeah. to like, be seen and understood? To be seen and understood. I remember when I first was watching this series in college, I really disliked the character of uh, Mayuri. Really? Because I was tr- I was turned off by her voice and by the seeming the apparent vacuousness of her character and you know it took me a while a to sort of acclimate to that particular style of anime girl mm-hmm. voice which I'm now much more acclimated to it doesn't bother me the way it used to. Sure. 
you know, no, she's not a vacuous character. No, she's not as oblivious or as just all sunshine all the time as she seems the same way that Okabe is not actually a mad scientist named Phoenix born genius, <laughs> which is, I believe the translation of Ho mm-hmm. in Kyoma. They're both putting on personas and her persona is sunshine girl. She's try. And like you see in that, in that monologue, that dialogue with her grandmother, that she's trying to be happy. Mm-hmm. She thinks she needs to project happiness and apologizes to her grandmother for like talking about sad stuff and some tries to talk about happy stuff. And it just mm-hmm. comes right back to the sad mm-hmm. stuff. And she's like, Oh no, it's a persona just like Ho in Kyoma is. And she can absolutely see the pain her friend is in. She sees him and she understands him and she cares, but can't do anything because he won't let her. God, is that what this is that what this show is about? Is it about taking off the mask? Like I think, Karise, yeah. uh, Karisu is, has the same struggle. Mm-hmm. And we're going to explore that a lot in the next episode. And like you just said, Mayuri has the same struggle. It's not from the same angle. It doesn't taste quite the same, but we're all putting on an act for each other. And sometimes even an act for ourselves to yes. convince ourselves of something, right? Um, Because we all have this idea that there are societal roles. And if you're not playing your societal role, then I don't know, you're in danger. You'll be cast out by society or something like that. And so we all, you know, put up that mask for each other. Beatrice is another example of this. Yes, absolutely. Her mo, her like, you know, cat girl, whatever yeah. thing mask, which she drops sometimes, especially yeah. in like that episode. She's you know. the most pronounced example. Yeah. And I, another character I had not, I remain not a huge fan of, but like, but still like playing to that theme. Um, yeah. Rukako. Oh my God. Yes. Pronouncedly has a mask, mm. which is enforced by society. Yeah. So there's a lot about masks. I think it's not necessarily like to add a bit to the theme. I think it's not just about a journey toward taking off the masks though, because I think those masks are sometimes useful. Oh, I think, okay. You know, so Feris obviously gets a great deal of joy from her mask. Rukako wants to be able to inhabit her mask more fully. Mm -hmm. And Okabe is sort of, I think, the most interesting one here. I think of Hoin Kyoma the way I think of Batman's cowl. Mm. Like uh, Batman sure. and Bruce Wayne, yeah. right? Uh-huh. He has an evolving relationship with Hoin Kyoma. Mm-hmm. He needs it in any social situation where he feels awkward. It's a crutch. Mm-hmm. It's a very dysfunctional one. It's very off-putting. It makes him kind of a weirdo in a lot of circles. But yeah. in his circle, it, it actually allows him to be this hot shot, just tr- throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks kind of an action hero. And whenever he lets it fall too much, he falls into despair and feelings of helplessness. Yeah. A lot of the extended Steinsgate um, stuff, including Steinsgate zero, especially mm-hmm. is about like, what does, Ho- what does Okabe lose when he puts down the Holy and Kyoma persona? Steinsgate oh. Zero is all like he, the opening of it. He has gone full normie. Oh goodness! He's playing tennis. He's attending college. He doesn't classes. have the uh, lab coat. Nope, no lab coat. No mad scientist persona. His friends are like trying to prod him into doing it, but he won't. And without it, he loses his dynamism. He loses his courage. 
and and we see too i i was pointing it out in his his conversation with his with kurisu when they're walking through that dark alley like he's trying to force on the cowl and it doesn't sit naturally doesn't feel right and increasingly and then he has this thing with kurisu on the roof where he's like it's all crap it's not real it's all make-believe and kurisu's like yeah i know dude i have eyeballs yeah and the next episode is gonna come to a a climax where he at least he talks about putting away the hoi and kyoma yeah persona and it's always whenever he feels fully defeated he puts it away yeah so i've got some trivia for us oh so just out of curiosity i did look up anime conventions in japan uh and there is one called komi ket which i assume is yeah is their equivalent of komina but it's not an anime convention. Oh. It's a uh, doujinshi convention, which is that like suggested because doujinshi isn't the anim- isn't the fandom. It's the like black market, like fanfic. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I d- did. Did uh, did Mayuri call Komima an anime convention? No. Like, I think we assuming because people go and they cosplay and they buy merch. But they probably do that at jo- doujinshi conventions too but you know that's interesting because it's like you know we were just talking about masks and it's Mm. like is there a correlation there it feels like cosplay well i mean it's like it's not an anime convention it's a fanfic convention it's an Mm. approximation of something like it's a sort of mask i guess interesting that maybe it's a stretch but it feels meaningful it felt felt interesting yeah yeah But yeah, I mean, like we get breadcrumbs of stuff like that throughout the show. And I just dismiss it as like an anime coding products that we're supposed to recognize like DK Pepper. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like now it feels like very intentional. Like everything is like not what it really seems on the surface. Like everything is something else. Interesting. If we think about it, because it's let's say we get we get like each of each of their like special interests, each of their like hobbies. Right. We have. Uh, Mayuri's interest in this uh, doujinshi convention. What do we have? Feris and Mayuri in the the maid cafe. Uh huh. Again, which is you know dress up. What else? We- uh, Daru. That's not his name. That's like his persona name for his yep. online presence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's con- and he's constantly. I mean, he's sort of got his like dysfunctional Hoin Kyoma thing too. Like he's always putting yeah. on these. He's constantly making these pervy jokes. He's he's also got this like shtick that he needs to lean on really heavily in order to like get through life. Yeah. And then uh, Suzuha and Mr. Braun both had like literal aliases that they were operating under. <laughs> in that case, it's not so much a hobby. Yeah. <laughs> and then Moeka, I guess that one's hard for me to crack That's because diff- yeah. she's not what she seems to be. No, you know, like like the reveal when she shows up in like the assassin, the freaking cat suit. Yeah, and the Forget gun. It. And spe- like, spe- did you know she was like had murder inside of her? No. <laughs> I feel like there's a theme that I never even considered before about this show. Yeah, because you know, like the time travel stuff just overshadows everything. <gasps> oh my god! Okay, so something else just dawns on me. <laughs> yes. Okabe has this fictional, like evil, all-present entity that he was fighting. Yes, and the now organization agents. Yeah, and now there really is. It's fate. Fate is this 
omnipresent unseen entity that he's fighting well also and also a real evil organization yeah, CERN. CERN, <laughs> yeah the 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 seeming the seeming fiction that he's erected uh-huh. for fun turns out to be real yeah there's a lot of it's not things are not how they seem yeah if you mm. take the story at face value then like cern would also be something that isn't what it seems you'd think yes. they're just like run, managing a particle accelerator or right. whatever mm. i was thinking too like something that was really sticking out to me in in this episode you know just thinking about the age of these characters right they're like in they're like 19 ish yes yes 19 maybe 20 18 19 20 right around okabe's not old enough to drink no he's not yeah <laughs> but in terms of how that affects their outlook on life mm-hmm. they they're all struggling with this wanting to be a value to their friends wanting to be good for their friends and they define this each in their own way as like i want to be giving good things and doing good things and not being a burden there is a transactional way of viewing your own value to your friends yeah which i think you know many of them express and act on uh, throughout the yeah. show, but it's particularly it's pronounced in this past episode because of you know Okabe literally trying to throw himself in front of a car yeah. mm-hmm. in order to like try and change the timeline. He's like, I don't die in this timeline, so maybe if I kill myself, I'll put us in a new timeline where this doesn't happen. Mayuri stops him by throwing herself in front of the car. And Mm -hmm. saying, as she's dying there, finally, I was able to be useful. Mm. Like, we we see how beautiful and deep their relationship is. We can appreciate its value, even if they're not giving each other anything. But they both feel so intensely this need to be Mm. of use and not be a burden. And that feels very much of that age. Like, I felt that so strongly at that age. Right. So this feels like Erickson's developmental stages. So fourth Mm. stage industry versus inferiority so i just pulled it up real quick so i didn't want to misquote it in this stage children start to compare themselves with their peers to gauge their ability abilities and worth uh there's complicated peer relationships and they all want to be of value to each other in some way and like maori's death just like what did she say it was almost explicitly yeah uh, it's i finally i was useful to you uh, and and when she's alive she's constantly like I'm not a burden, am I? You tell me if I were a burden. Which, like, oh my gosh, she's been useful to him since the day they met. Like, he, if if it wasn't for Mayuri, he'd be so up in his head, he'd be driving himself crazy all the time. But also, like, we carry burdens because we love them. Mm. Like, Okabe chose to try and save her, just as she chose to try and save Okabe. Yeah. Sometimes we are burdens to those that we love but it's not it's not a burden that they would ever choose to put down alex what's up can you imagine what it must be like to watch anime with marley and paul together (laughs) no clue that would be so awesome (laughs) yeah yeah y'all need to come out to the dc area Oh man, yeah, we uh, we we uh, we like to we like to analyze. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Very cool. All right, are we ready to jump in? Uh, we're at yeah. Any other thoughts for this episode, or are we good for the next one? Only other one I sort of that came up was the more Okabe tries to save Mayuri, the more he drifts away from her. 
partly because he's trying to keep this secret from her. And so like the most important thing in his life, he cannot tell to his best friend, but also Mm. like as a method of self-defense, like he can't engage with her too closely because Mm. he knows she's going to die. And then he starts, as soon as he realizes that that's a a problem with Kurosu as well, he starts doing the exact same thing. Oh yeah. He suddenly is like putting all kinds of space between him and Kurosu because he can't emotionally, he can't get too close uh, he's got to turn it around. Yeah. Well, that's the perfect lead into this next episode. Let's do it. All right. In that case, three, two, one, play. Oh, gosh. This is another emotional one. Yeah. Yeah, we get a double dose today. Ben got off easy. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we got to wait around for a, go an after credit scene. Yes. Now I feel like the end credits is the um hourglass coming back together because it's the glass yes it's it's not going apart yes you're right i always thought it was feathers but on closer inspection it, it is the glass shards it is shard, shards of an hourglass slowly the having shattered slowly drifting back together yeah mm. so we're, we're we spend most of the series super zoomed in on the personal crisis of we must save mayuri yeah mm-hmm. until right at the very end we we must save kurisu and mayuri like the larger picture is it turns out making a time machine is really easy. You can hook up a cell phone to a microwave and then uh, you've more or less got one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like essentially nuclear arms race style, the first organization or government or whatever to get a hold of that gains an advantage that can push back infinitely far into the past and infinitely forward into the future. Because if anyone actually foils them, like they can just rewrite the timelines that mm-hmm. they didn't. And what we've introduced here is the world is really on this very n- narrow little teeter totter between who invents it first CERN or whichever government it is that's going to launch world war three. And either one of those routes leads to apocalypse mm-hmm. like horrible, horrible apocalypse where bullets are raining in the streets and people are dying mm-hmm. left and right. And everyone's afraid mm-hmm. and the future gadget team are like resistance people being hunted and it's an awful place a whole crap load of timelines lead to one of those outcomes or another they are mm-hmm. powerful attractor points mm-hmm. in the space of possible outcomes for obvious reasons like it's real easy to build a time machine once you have a time machine it's real easy to make a dictatorship so someone's going to do it mm-hmm. and so okabe's struggle at this point is how do I possibly get us onto a timeline that doesn't lead to either of those, to either World War Three or CERN taking mm-hmm. over the world? How does he thread the needle? Yeah, so Kurisu's gone. Suzuha is back. Yep. And the board is still set up. Because this, in a lot of ways, does feel kind of like a climax episode, like an ending. And in some ways, it is an emotional climax. But there is still... I don't know, a whole plot to deal with. And so good thing we've got two more episodes. Yes. What? Is that all that's left? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Two more episodes and then we might do the, um, uh, uh, what do you call it? The OVA, because that's like a side story thing. Oh my God. Uh, we're not going to get caught up in the, there's a prequel series, right? Zero is a whole series. Zero is a whole series. Uh, yeah. I think there's, it's worth whichever OVA is or or movie or whatever it is that's like Kurisu saving Okabe 
I do recommend that one because that really okay. that really dovetails with this season in a way that mm-hmm. Zero is like kind of its own story and its own thing. Okay, mm. good recommendation. So Blixa, I feel like you have a lot of feelings yeah. on in this Kurisu situation. You just said Kurisu is my favorite now. Okay, <laughs> what what made her your favorite in this episode? She took off the mask. You know, oh. it's like she finally like got in touch with her feelings and was ready to share them. And like she did it in like little tiptoes, you know, like she couldn't say the words and they had this kiss and it was really sweet. And then like they were parting ways and she was able to say it out loud, but not to Mm. Okabe. And then finally Mm -hmm. she had to rush back to the lab and she was going to say it and didn't fucking matter who else was there. Oh my God. Like it's so romantic. That's an excellent point that it didn't matter. The two other people were there. Daru Mm. being one of them. Mm -hmm. That's a tough audience Mm -hmm. to like, pronounce your love to somebody and bef- and like immediately before that she can't even say it out loud she can mouth it to okabe's mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. and then she realizes no no it's gotta i have to say it i have to say it but those moments are gone they reset the timeline okay but he remembers he them does. so they this... happened i know but there's still this a relationship loss and it's again, it's isolating because they they don't they don't have a shared experience. And now wherever Krisu is, if she's alive or dead or whatever, like she hasn't grown and taken those steps. God, it's so melancholy. It's incredibly melancholy. And I love what you said about ice, how isolating it is to have lived on different timelines. Mm-hmm. Because we we mostly see this from Okabe's perspective, Okabe's done all this stuff. He's gone through all these things with Kurisu over and over and over again. He's had all these experiences that in any given timeline that he will occupy, Kurisu will not have had those experiences with him. Mm-hmm. Like the first kiss, that's now something that only he has had. They shared it for a moment. And now if he can get back on a timeline with Kurisu again, she will not have had that first kiss with him. Mm-hmm. Like you said, how important it is. Like talk about Mayuri, how deeply important it is in a relationship to feel seen and understood. Okabe keeps erasing all of the mm-hmm. most important moments of his mm-hmm. life. Yes. So he can't be fully seen by his friends. He can't be fully understood by his friends. Yeah. Shared experiences is the best that we have. Like we are trapped in these flesh suits mm-hmm. and have to use these like clunky means to interact and be seen by each other. And like, that's what we rely on for shared experience to feel connected with another person. And God damn it. Like there's been so many beautiful moments and they're gone. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Like tears in rain. But is it yeah. better to have loved and you know loved and is lost. it better to have love and lost? Yeah, than to have never loved at all. That's one thing. And two, like, you know, we, we don't have time travel, but we do have people who have amnesia or or develop dementia or things. And like 
they lose memories, it doesn't mean that that thing didn't happen, right? But it is possible for people to lose access to their side or their part of that event that happened. Like, I, it is melancholy, but, you know, also, this is a piece of art, right? Mm-hmm. These things, these events are only really happening because someone experiences them happening because we're watching it happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so... Yes, it's a lonely experience for for Okabe, but I think it's a really wonderful like art magic experience because it brings us in there with Okabe, right? Like who experienced this kiss between them? Well, Okabe did. Oh, and we did, the audience. Yes. So he's not alone, but he doesn't have access to us. And and we're not alone, but we don't have access to him. You know, we can't bridge that fiction gap and, yeah. and talk to Okabe. But we do get to talk to each other about it. Okay, okay. All right. I was just gonna say it's part of why I like I love watching things together in company oh with my God, people. Yes. Is yes, these sorts of melancholy, lonely experiences. Uh-huh. Uh you do get to bridge the gap when you get to watch them with someone else. Every time I would rather experience yes. media and art with another person than by myself. Yes. Well, okay, Alex, that was actually a very beautiful sentiment. And I guess I am inspired to be optimistic. At the very least, all these experiences Okabe has had, it can show him what's what's possible. There's mm-hmm. all these wonderful things that could happen. Mm-hmm. And that's really nice. If he can just get past his massive PTSD. <laughs> yeah. God, what, what therapist would you go to that? Like you there's no that's precedent. A, that's a tough one because, right? If you, I mean, first of all, therapy I think is not a thing in 2008 <laughs> oh, yeah, Japan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's that. To, uh, also, too, like how many times have I made my own fanfic in my head of Madoka Magica in which they all just sit down with a therapist? Yeah. <laughs> like so many shows would go so differently if only there were therapists in world that were oh, any good. And I, I absolutely have those fanfics in my head uh-huh. for many shows. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Oh, God. Pa- All right, Paul, I'm going to embarrass myself. This was part of my complaint about the end of Attack on Titan. I was sitting there and I was like, does diplomacy not exist in this fucking world? <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, are there no ambassadors that can just... Can we, can we talk about our feelings, maybe? Oh, my God. But, you know, that's not what a shonen is going to do. Like, they're going to use violence to solve their problems. And that that's what is expected for that genre, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I got to say, so I don't watch too many shonen action anime because mm-hmm. action in isolation often often leaves me feeling a little bored because I need the emotional, sure. I need oh, yes, the emotional yes, content absolutely. there. But there are some that I enjoy. I enjoyed, I think, maybe three and a half, four seasons of My Hero Academia. And partly mm-hmm. because, yes, they do fix their problems by fighting Mm -hmm. but the emotions are right there like kind of they're they're like talking it out as also they're punching it out and that works pretty well for me it's like okay if uh if you're gonna punch it out at least you also talk it out (laughs) and that that works and like and the punching like kind of follows a similar arc so that the two the two are not just sitting side by side they work together but anyway yeah Unpopular opinion. That's why I liked Naruto. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they did. They had to have like a three episode fight. <laughs> at the end. But whatever. I was um, thinking of the Kurisu's line of complaining. I want to complain to Einstein. Yeah. And and how like 
time being relative uh-huh. being such a beautiful and romantic and sad idea mm-hmm. that like as a a hobby scientist and a, i mean a data scientist professionally like when you have a relationship with these kinds of mathematical ideas you do start ascribing emotions to them like mm. they do start to change the way you think about emotional experiences and mm. like i just wanted to share like so i got married 2 months ago in my mm-hmm. wedding vows one of my one of the like the the closing of my wedding vows was an analogy about quantum mechanics all right mm. do you feel comfortable sharing uh sure <laughs> yeah let me pull it up alex we have the best guests on this show oh yeah i'm i'm very happy with what where the show takes us it's a great book st- <laughs> book uh, uh book club style show uh, uh, let's see i've been talking 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 let's see there's one more thought that i need to share a metaphor really I've already used my fairyland metaphor early in my vows, uh, Mm -hmm. and my vows wouldn't be complete if they didn't have a bit of fairyland and a bit of math. Mm. (laughs) Don't worry, not going to make you learn statistics in order to understand my vows, just a little bit of quantum mechanics. You only need to know three things for my metaphor to work. One, in quantum mechanics we describe a moment in the future as an immense space holding every possible outcome. Two. The uncertainty about which outcome will happen next is described as oscillations or ripples, which are kind of like sounds rippling through that space of possibilities. And finally, three, the more likely one of those possibilities becomes, the louder it rings. So the future, our future, is like a gargantuan musical instrument, which we play not by drawing a bow across a string or blowing air across a reed, but by pulling a pen across a calendar, or talking about our plans for next weekend, or thinking about our honeymoon, or imagining our dream home. Aww. Every time we do one of these things, we make some possibilities more likely, so those parts of the great instrument grow louder, and we make other possibilities less likely, so those parts grow softer, and the life that we live precipitates from that music beautiful thank you oh my god where can we find other people like you paul like single people <laughs> uh we just have to keep having these discussions and, and I, they will they will, they will come marley yeah. if you're listening you jerk you took like the best <laughs> out there. yeah that was beautiful uh, I did think this is a beautiful episode. I had a couple of favorite parts I just uh, wanted to share. Mm, please. Uh, uh, these two short shots that I really enjoyed. One was umbrellas in rain. Mm. There was just this whole rainbow of umbrellas. They're specifically all colors. And I was like that imagery because it's like, you know, at the core of each of those umbrellas is a person mm. and they can't quite touch each other. You know, mm. it's a great image for how close we can get with our our flesh suits, but we can't quite, you know, know each other on a, on a soul level. And then, kind of tying into it, when Kurisu is saying goodbye to uh, Okabe uh, at the train station, the tile work is discrete, these large, discrete yes. black and white squares, mm-hmm. but at the edges, they just bleed into each other, mm-hmm. just a little bit. 
um, which I thought was very much the same kind of like, you know, we think everything's discreet, but like we do connect. We do bleed into each other a little bit. Uh, I really love that. And then also the when she does come back, right, she runs back to say I love you one time or whatever. I did find it really beautiful because I was with someone and they dropped me off at college and then they were going to take a Greyhound bus back. And like I had that moment where like they left, you know, I dropped them off at the bus station. I came back, uh, came back to my room and I uh, started doing something and then came a knock at the door. And I think it's my friend who's going to come hang out and play video games. And there it's, you know, my partner. And I'm like, what are you doing here? And like, you know, she just wanted to steal a few more moments, like another hour, another whatever. And and that really gets me in that moment. And it really highlights the meaning of that act. You know, Carisu mm. isn't even stealing an hour. She's just stealing a second, one last longing look. Yeah. But like, that's all, that's okay. That too is a beautiful act. It's yes. not how long it's for. It's that you you cared, you're so entangled with this person that you had to upend whatever other plans you had, you know? And it, it, it's just powerful. Oh I my want, God. <laughs> I wanted to say, following up on your umbrellas thing, you know, talking about that shot, the umbrellas drifting past each other, one mm-hmm. person under each umbrella. It is a very, it's like a classic sort of image in Japanese culture two people sharing an umbrella Ah. is a like romantic image see the proximity yeah so that's like if you if you ever see like a you know like romance anime and there's like the 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 main couple who like it's raining and they have to choose they have to share an umbrella together and they're walking together sharing this umbrella like that's that is like classic romantic imagery Mm -hmm. and so just yeah again uh, adding another layer to your thought of like, look at these umbrellas just drifting past each other. Yeah. It's exactly what this is. That makes sense. There's a uh, live action series in Japan called Cherry Magic about gay men in an <gasps> office romance. And near the beginning of the series, they have that scene. Mm-hmm. I think the meaning of it was lost on me. But so thank you for that. Yeah. And thank Marley, because uh, <laughs> all that sort of broader cultural and historical stuff I get from her. <laughs> like, my contribution is close reading of the, the text very, very narrowly. Any any surrounding stuff got to come from her. Yeah. Okay. Well, those were my big thoughts, the things that really stuck out to me in the episode. I'm really happy with our discussion. Is there anything we didn't go over? Is there anything that stuck out to either of you in the episode worth worth talking about? Mm. Oh no, like all the aesthetic observations I have seem really trivial. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what, what are some of them? Yeah. It was like a very noir episode. Like, mm. oh yeah. The color palette being yeah. so yes. subdued. But right down That's to- why the umbrellas with their color was such a ooh, a shock of color for a second. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go on. But you know, also in noir is like the heavy use of like Venetian blinds for its ability to control lighting and then also shadows. And when you had both of those things in the romantic scene, we saw their shadows parting from a kiss. Mm -hmm. God damn it. Really like this episode. (laughs) Yeah. There was, you know what Paul uh, uh, 
uh, remarked on that Okabe's so tall and Kuriso's so short yeah. that when they actually show you what's happening in the kiss, like he's all hunched over and she's up on tippy toes. And like, that's just so cute. It's yeah. deeply cute. Also, like, he doesn't know what to do with his arms. Uh-huh. They're just <laughs> hanging there. They are just <laughs> hanging there limply. A, a posture which is all the more pronounced and exaggerated by the fact that he has to hunch forward. So they're not just like at his sides. They're just dangling in empty space. <laughs> it's so, so genuine, though. Yeah, there we go. You said it like the things, the logistics that would seem unromantic, like make it more romantic because of how like raw and real it feels. Yeah, because you don't know what to do with your hands. <laughs> Oh my god, my first kiss was a nightmare. It was horrible. <laughs> mine mine was not a nightmare, but uh like it was awkward. Yeah. But the saving grace is like maybe in time with one person you don't get a do-over, but you have other relationships and my kisses got better. Oh, <laughs> hell yeah. Oh yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh I think that's part of the the unbearableness of leading up to a first kiss is you're like, what if it's terrible? And you're like, it will be. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have so many good ones though. Don't, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, So the end of this episode, well, like not the post-credit, but um, with uh, Karisu disappearing, Mm -hmm. has anyone seen the movie Perfect Sense? Mm -mm. No, I haven't heard of it. Uh, Ewan McGregor and the actress that plays like Vesper from the 007 movies. There's a global pandemic and the way it affects you is you slowly start losing each one of your senses in like stages. And then like eyesight is the last to go. And like, it's kind of a metaphor, you know, like it's this two young people that were in love and they experience all these hardships that separate them, but then they're able to reunite based on like the things that matter most. And like, at the very well, the movie's ten years old, so mm-hmm. I don't know if the audience is listening. Like spoilers, but like they've lost all their senses except eyesight, and it's happening. And like they finally like make this breakthrough about each other, and they come looking for each other around town, and they finally see each other, mm. and they see each other across the street, and they start running towards each other just as their eyesight starts to go, and presumably like they get to each other because they're only a few inches away by the time everything goes black but like they can feel each other and they're going to die like they can't hear or see or anything but like they at least got to have that that's what reminded me of it like when you said like even though it was just a few seconds like karisu got to have that moment it's again melancholy and beautiful to me yeah that's like life (laughs) yeah yeah just like you were saying with your metaphor like there's just a world of possibility and uncertainty and then like i guess if we're lucky we get to i don't know how you put it in your metaphor but like (laughs) you have this like profound connection Mm -hmm. that's created through small intentional things yeah that's freaking awesome you know it's it's not like hollywood epic romance but like that shit's not real like yeah it is these little things on the calendar 100%. 100%. God Absolutely. damn it, Paul. Now you got me all emotional. <laughs> and you know, when Mayuri talked about the first day I was at the the lab. We didn't uh, do anything. We didn't do anything. We yes. barely talked to each other. 
you were writing something. I was reading something. I'm yeah. like, yeah, tandem time where you're just occupying the same space. Mm. But it's just nice to have the other person there because, you know, I don't know. It's just great. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. those shared experiences. It's really beautiful. And the quiet time. I've had people ask me say to me, like, I don't know. I just don't talk. We like, There's a lot of quiet time in this relationship. I'm like, you're going to have more quiet time than you have talking time. Like, it's just inevitable. Yes. So, like, find someone you're comfortable being quiet with. Yep. All right, Alex, I'm going to embarrass you for a minute. Oh, my God. Go ahead. I think you're good at that stuff. Like, one of the <sighs> things that I remember from our friendship was, like, you bringing over a TV in your PlayStation and we weren't playing the same game. We were just hanging out in the same room gaming. <laughs> and, like, it just felt it good. good <laughs> uh, I'm glad that wasn't erased. <laughs> yeah. you know mm. and like there are maybe a thousand moments like that with other people that are erased you know that i don't quite remember yeah i i i relate very hard to that my memory is quite poor and a lot of my life when i try to think back to it you asked me at the beginning of this this uh podcast like so what were some of the other anime you were watching in college and i'm like i don't know <laughs> i was watching them i was like quickly trying to scan through my mile my malnet account yeah. and i was like later on like i was like jogging my memory. i was like oh yeah i remember this I remember that but, like a lot of them have disappeared from my brain a lot of like beautiful mm-hmm. moments with friends with people have disappeared from my brain mm-hmm. the feeling lingers even when the specifics of the moments that created that feeling are gone. It's something I really treasure. It's also, you know, I guess something that uh, we can say is, you know, to the extent that they suggest in Steinsgate here, that that is an effect that many people are feeling right. Okabe's like reading Steiner thing seems to be pretty unique to him, but everyone has it a little, even if they're these vague feelings, just these, these, not quite memories as Kurisu kind of like to paraphrase mm-hmm. Kurisu. She remembers, even if she doesn't quite remember the specifics, how hard he was trying to save Mayuri's life. Mm-hmm. She, re- she remembers the feeling of working with him. And that has stuck even as the specifics of, of what actually happened, even if as the, the details of the memories of the destroyed timelines have gone away. Mm. Also, super curious to hear, uh, Alex, your thoughts on Okabe as Ace. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know. He just. Because this is also a pet theory of mine. Yeah. He, okay. I don't know. Like, the way he deals with sexual situations, like when, when Kurisu's blouse became see through because of the rain, like, he wasn't being pervy. He was like, I don't know what to do with the situation. Yes. And she looks up and he's looking. But he's not leering at her. But like, you know, from her perspective, like what else are you supposed to uh, assume is happening? The way that a lot of the women in the show relate to him and how he just doesn't get it, give any feedback, especially the way he relates to Ferris. Like Mm -hmm. Ferris is very flirty with him Mm -hmm. and maybe he's just not into Ferris. But like, I just think. I don't think he's aromantic. I think he has very deep friendship feelings and maybe romantic feelings, especially for Curry Sue pretty blatantly here. But like, I don't know. He just doesn't seem to be interested in 
sex. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, and like Daru, that's like a huge counterpoint between yeah. the two of them. Yeah. Is Daru's like super into sex? You know, maybe he's a little pervy about it or something, but he's very comfortable with that stuff. Yeah. To where he'll make jokes about it and stuff. And Okabe is just nowhere near it. His mind is so far away. Yeah. Do you, you you think along these similar lines? I do. I the person who introduced me to it and that that friend of mine who like we watched all these kinds of anime together throughout college. He is also like romantic ace. Mm-hmm. And so his he was looking at at Okabe and being like, I also I I like I share some of these things with him. And like mm. one of the things that he said was like, it's a a way of viewing certain uh situations that other people would find sort of uh too like charged mm-hmm. with like sexual tension to like approach that they you know the the uh someone who's ace might approach like much more in a much more like pragmatic kind of yes. way and there's a bunch of examples of this so one is when and they're all they're all they all come off as like very un like kind of cringy but they're totally like innocent in his head. Yes. Like one is when uh, Rukako, like after they've changed timelines and he's telling people like, wait, but no, but Rukako's a guy. Yes. He's yes. A, yes. He's a guy. And everyone's <gasps> getting really upset at him. And he's like, no, look. And he grabs, yeah. he grabs yes. Rukako's crotch. And it's like for, for anyone who isn't ace, that's a very sexually charged thing to do. Yeah. Like it's very obvious why you would not want to do that. You have a visceral, like, there's too much energy there but for him it's just like no look Mm -hmm. okay so i i had this feeling about okabe but i had not put it in the context of those situations and gosh oh my this is a turning point for me like (laughs) i i I have to reconsider how i think about okabe because he has been very grating on me at times yep but like Oh my gosh, it makes those those awkward situations taste so different. Right. Even the one where he thinks Mayuri has been like killed in the apartment or something and he bursts in on Kurisu and Mayuri uh bathing yep. and they're like what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Yeah, dude, what are you doing?" But it makes a lot of sense that he doesn't have that impasse because he doesn't think of the situation as sexual. He right. doesn't exp- it doesn't occur to him. Right. Brilliant. Um, okay, cool. Well, uh, now we get to bully you one more time. All right, bring it. So uh, we try to ask our guests for a recommendation. So if people are enjoying Steins Gate or they need a companion piece or what have you, is there anything you could recommend to them? I have uh, three things queued up and I've mentioned, uh, I think I've mentioned two of them already. My my through line for this is uh, Mamoru Miyano. Okay. So if you are enjoying the vocal performance of Okabe, which I, as you know, I just so deeply love. <laughs> yes. His his expressive range and his craziness and his weirdness, right? One is a very, very new one. I think it aired last season. It's called Undead Girl Murder Farce, or that's how it's <laughs> translated. A very off-putting title. Uh, don't let the title put you off anime are renowned for having bizarre titles it is a like i would recommend he mamoru miyano is a kind of a bit character in this one he shows up later mm-hmm. but he's nonetheless he's a bit of my tie-in and also like the connection to steinsgate it's a murder mystery 
show, like a, a oh. series of murder mysteries with supernatural elements. Our two, oh. our Sherlock Holmes-esque sleuth is okay. the the immortal. So this is a a figure who just cannot die. Uh-huh. H- had her head chopped off. Her body was oh. stolen. And she's trying to find the rest of her body and get it back. But in the meantime, she's a, a head in a birdcage being carried around solving mysteries with her uh, two companions, uh, one of whom is this like sort of half demon, half man, who is this this incredibly like understated goofball companion. It's a, It's got a very wry humor to it and very stylishly directed combat scenes that really don't overstay their welcome. They're all very okay, like, okay. concise and well thought out. And then, yeah, I don't know, some, some older ones or on high school host club for a totally like absolute goofball, ridiculous comedy fun with Mamoru Miyano being this, this absolute, again, weirdo leader figure who is carrying people along by the by just dint of enthusiasm and and weirdness like if you liked that and you want something lighter and brighter try Oran high school host club <laughs> from uh, like around a similar time i think and uh touching on some trans issues too because our protagonist oh. for that one is a girl who uh, haruhi who dresses dresses very androgynously and and is sort of uh i guess not exactly trans but maybe a a gender sure 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 yeah some some strong gender issues at play here okay yeah i think i'll we'll leave it leave it at those two awesome uh okay and then also if if people want more of you in their life or 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 (laughs) things that you promote is there anything you want to plug uh yeah, sure. Uh, so if you happen to be in the San Francisco Bay Area between January 27 and February 17th, uh, so in addition to being a data scientist, I am a an actor and a singer in uh, the Bay Area theater community. Cool. And uh, South Bay Musical Theater is putting on a production of Stephen Sondheim's A Little Night Music. That's January cool. 27 to February 17th. Uh, and I am uh, going to be singing with the with cast there and it's going to be a fantastic time it's one of his best shows it's 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 going to be an incredible production come see it tickets for as as for adults uh, start as low as 28 dollars. so for a, a fantastic night at the theater solid thank you so much for having me and you know marley and yeah we we i'm sure we'd love to do this again definitely oh you're on the short list oh hooray <laughs> okay Pen. Pen. Pals. Come play to Einstein. Einstein.